And welcome back to our Q&A. Uh, first question posted. It says, many times you've pointed Romans 3.25 by saying, in essence, see, God doesn't punish sin because of his forbearance, but never explained what the word means. Please explain uh, on the Greek word, anoche, uh, translated as forbearance. Uh, to understand it myself, I break the word into its two parts, for, uh, to do something ahead of time, and bear, to carry something, figuratively or literally. But th- that's the English word. The various Greek dictionaries uh, uh, define the word as holding back, delaying, or tolerant of self-restraint. Um, what is God holding back? What is God holding back in self-restraint? As you've said uh, in the past, we are on emergency life support. So is, God in, is God's forbearance, his holding back and restraining himself from allowing us to experience the immediate results of eternal death due to our past sin? Is it him remaining tolerant of our terminal condition? Okay, so um, the way I understand it, you have to understand first, the, which law lens you look through this? And the design law lens, sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. Uh, those who sow to the carnal nature, from that nature reap destruction. Galatians 6.8. First was uh, James 1.15. Uh, and then the wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23. So, the reality is that sin brings death. If God did not intervene and create an artificial circumstance after Adam and Eve sinned, they would have died, and the species would have died at that point. The first death is an artificial state of grace that God has permitted. It is not the wages of sin death. The righteous and the wicked both die that death, but Jesus said those who die that death who in him, they never actually die. So that death is not the death that Adam was told about in Eden. It's the death from which there's no resurrection. That first death is just merely a, a sleep, and for the person who dies it, it's a blink of an eye. Blink, oh, Jesus is here. We've got eternity. They, they never really die, okay, according to uh, Jesus. So um, what is he holding back? He's holding back the full consequences of what sin does. He held it at bay. God left the sins committed beforehand unpunished, meaning he um, left the sins that were committed beforehand um, he did not allow them to reap eternal destruction uh, for the purpose of, and the whole context there, for, for sending Christ to be the remedy to solve the problem so that all those who accept will never die but have eternal life. So the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So he forbears in holding back what sin would do by intervening and restraining those consequences and keeping open channel for Messiah. This is, Jesus said, I beheld Satan like lightning fall from heaven. If I stated something in this manner, I would be saying I was an observer of the occasion. Did Jesus simply observe what took place here? Well, um, when you put simply observe, it implies that he uh, was only a watcher and not a participant. And so, no, I wouldn't suggest that. I think Jesus was describing that he's aware and he has knowledge that goes beyond the knowledge. And the context there is that, that the 70 came back and they, they were amazed that they were to cast out demons from people. And Jesus uh, basically told them, don't be amazed at that. I, I saw Satan cast out of heaven. I saw the whole thing. I, I'm aware of a larger reality than you are. So I don't think this is simply like he was watching a view screen on on a, on a closed-circuit closed television or something watching this. I don't think that's what it's about. It's about the context that he has this knowledge of a much larger casting out. And then he goes on to tell him, and don't be, don't be focusing on that. Focus instead on the gospel and the good news is where he shifts their focus to. 
Both Peter and Judas saw the redemptive love of, of in Jesus stance toward them after their betrayal of him. Can we take from Judas' subsequent actions an example of what will happen to those after the millennium of Revelation 20? In other words, will the wicked take their own lives when faced with such love? Well, uh, my understanding is they don't want to live in God's um, presence, and the Bible describes that as they beg for the mountains to fall on them and hide them from him. And Ellen White in Great Controversy describes that time when God's unveiled glory, which is the the fires of truth and love, uh, uh, impact them. And when that happens, they become fully aware of reality. Their denial and their distortion of all the evil that they've done and the harm that they've caused and the corruption in, in their own character, they can no longer run from, and they have awareness of it because they're in the presence of infinite truth, and their condition tortures them. They hate their condition, and they don't want to live in that condition. And ultimately, Ellen White says that the death of the wicked is voluntary with themselves and just and merciful on the part of God. So I believe that this is why some are in the fires burning longer than others, not because it's a physical fire, but because it's the fires of truth and love, and truth burns through until the person acknowledges and accepts the reality, and God would allow them to stay there forever, but they don't want to live in his universe because they hate truth, they hate love, and it's torture to their soul to be in that infinite presence. And so eventually they surrender their cells, just as Jesus on the cross surrendered his spirit back to the Father. Father, into your hands I surrender my spirit. So that's what I understand happens. Um, and, the, and if you want some more Bible text and references for that, go to our website, go over to the resource section, find the... Um, the um, Power of Love training equipping course, and there's a whole lecture on, on the, the hell and what that fire is all about and give all the Bible references for that. <clears throat> In the remedy, Hebrews 4, 4 states, as the scriptures say elsewhere regarding the seventh day, and on the seventh day God rested his case, he had finished all his work providing the evidence needed to refute the lies of Satan, unquote. Can you go into more detail as to the evidence that was provided at creation? Does this mean that there would be no more evidence provided or needed after creation? So uh, I gave some of that in class today. Um, It does not mean there would not be any further evidence. It means that at the end of creation week there was sufficient evidence to reveal God's character, his methods, how he governs, how his laws function, when he shared power with Adam and Eve, when he created the entire ecosystem, when two separate beings come into the unity of love and give themselves to great beings in their image. The whole system, Earth, was was designed to be a microcosm of the universe, and then his restraining of the use of power, not forcing his, his leaving beings free. All of this was the evidence to show how God works in his methods, and it was sufficient evidence for people, uh, for the intelligent beings to make decisions upon. But that was not the end of the evidence given after Adam and Eve sinned, there was more evidence given in the life, death, resurrection of Christ. Uh, Good day. I live in the island of Jamaica, and I have uh, been a Bible counselor for the SDA church for a few years. Since I started following your class, this has become very difficult for me, so much so that I have stopped doing it. The more I started uh, looking at things from design law, it has been a struggle going to church because everything... Every time they open their mouth, truth mixes with error comes out. Uh, yes, I think, how many of you have had a similar experience? And we've all had this experience, yes, of hearing um, very ugly things said about our loving Father from the pulpit. Yes, it's very hard. As a Bible counselor, I have been telling couples living, in, uh, living together or in committed relationships without being married by the state, um, meaning signed a legal document, that they are living in sin. 
But the concept of marriage in the Bible is nothing like uh, what the church churches are in the states. Uh, the churches in the states are practicing today. From my understanding, please correct me if I'm wrong. Um, Bible man and wife is simply two consenting adults committing themselves to each other, or the parents or guardian giving their daughter. Uh, so you have a you have a, a truth here. It needs to be clarified, but there is an absolute truth here. Um, marriages, uh, up until the Reformation, were completely uh, independent of states. Uh, uh, none of the governments of the world were involved in marriage. Marriage was family and community without any legal state involvement at all. And marriages in the Christian era, uh, before the Reformation, were registered at the church, which was the Catholic church. You would, you would have the marriage and register, and they kept a registry of the marriage, so forth, there. Uh, so it was, uh, but, but before the church even, going back to Bible times, the marriages were the people. There may be a ceremony of some sort, but there was no legal documents registered with states and states' rights and all this kind of stuff. Um, there were the commitment of two people that would be joined together, and as God joined them together, they become one, and they live together in, in matrimony after that. The Reformation, however... Um, they did not want their married believers to have to go to the Catholic priest and have their marriages registered with the church. So they went to the local city magistrates and asked the city magistrates to begin a marriage registry for the Protestant believers. And this got the states involved with marriages, and thus there are two aspects to marriage in our societies today. There is the God-designed aspect of two adults committing themselves and becoming joined and blessed by God, a sanctified union. And then there is a legal union that happens when the state, you do the proper paperwork and you get the state to recognize, and that brings certain legal rights, like you can potentially get citizenship, you can have inheritance rights, you have uh, next of kin rights, and many other legal rights that come with that. But that may not be blessed of God at all. That may not be sanctified at all. Um, back when there was a big debate in our country over same-sex marriages, many Christians got bent out of shape about this, and I point, and you just had to separate the two. Two issues got merged. God's design, holy matrimony, two becoming one, and state rights. Okay? States can make things legal. States cannot make things holy or blessed. Okay, And so I leave people free to decide on the same-sex one whether God blesses and makes holy or not. I don't get into that argument. I just make the point that the states making it legal has no bearing on what God does. So at the end of the day, same thing here. Um, uh, getting married in God's eyes may or may not, re uh, certainly does not require a state document. Yes? But that's, in, in, in essence... The commitment of two individuals that they're going to be lifelong partners and they are committed to this relationship is a marriage. Yep. Okay. Yep. But most of the relationships that appears that he's describing are those that kind of, hey, let's live together, and if it works out, it will work out. If it doesn't, it doesn't work out. That's not a marriage. No, it's not a marriage. No, just living together and to see what happens isn't a marriage. That no. But but the commitment. And let's, let's say also, um, the reasons I think the states actually serve a function right now is because the families and communities in, in most Western societies are broken and fractured. Back in the day when it was just the uh, marriage being the family and the community, you couldn't get divorced and get support of your village. You couldn't just walk out on your wife and go pick up somebody else and have your village. You would be ostracized and held accountable by the entire village and community that you belonged to. 
Um, because our societies have fragmented the way they are, uh, there is no external societal accountability other than through our court systems and going, to, uh, going and you know fighting it out in court for property and other things and so forth and so on. And so I think in our Western society, because of the breakdown in the community, um, that there is a place where there's a benefit for the, the legal aspects of it. Anyway, moving on to the next question. We've got a lot of them. Uh, in the final destruction of the wicked, will some of the wicked suffer longer? Yeah, I just mentioned that and the reason why. Um, and you can hear more about that in that lecture that I mentioned on our website. Uh, please explain the dichotomy between loving and merciful God and a God that uses wrath and plagues in the end of time. How do those fit in the context of a loving God? So I actually read a quote during class today that, um, that highlighted that God's judgments are judging who will let him work with them and who have closed him away from them. And at the end of time, uh, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit on earth is... The holy place dwells in the hearts and minds of people, and as billions of people permanently harden their heart to the Spirit, what naturally happens to the Holy Spirit? He leaves. He leaves. He's withdrawn from the earth. And as the Holy Spirit withdraws from the earth, who gains more power on the earth? Satan. Satan and his minions. And so what happens on the earth? More chaos, more evil, more destruction, including nature begins to collapse and fall apart as Satan is given more freedom to influence nature. And we have evidence in Scripture that when God gives him the freedom, he can influence nature. Look in the book of Job, and you will see that. So this is one of the things that happens at the end. And the wrath of God, according to Scripture, is God letting go um, uh, and giving people the freedom to reap what they've chosen. And you can see that in Romans chapter 1, starting verse 18, going down through verse 28, and other places. I read your blog, Mass Delusion, and understand. However, uh, that's the blog for this week, if anybody didn't see it, it just came out uh, Thursday. Uh, however, in Australia, many speaking out have, have openly stated that they don't have the answers and are struggling to penetrate this mass delusion and are at a loss to know what else to do. Those awake are doing, as you suggest, along with forming new communities to provide mental, emotional, physical support to the awake, to the wake, to awaken, who have lost the jobs, etc., and create a second-tier society. But mass protests, etc., are not working. The governments are ignoring these because our Australian government is a fraud. It is a service corporation parading as a government. Uh, what can the leaders of these peaceful resistance movements do differently to create real change on a mass level without violence? So um, that's a great question. I would say, uh, look at the early church. Whatever, whatever's going on in our society is as bad as it is, and it is. I don't think we've reached the level what Rome was doing. And how did the early Christians handle it? They did not, I, I, I don't know of any record of early Christians, uh, you know, like Spartacus, leading a mass revolt of the slaves. Those weren't early Christians doing that. I don't know of any, any historical record of early Christians going on protest marches in Rome. What the early Christians did is they continued to share community. They shared a community, a community of faith in Jesus and a reality that brought peace that the, the, the fearful systems of Rome could not bring. And ever a time in history that people need the true gospel of Jesus Christ that can bring peace to the soul, it's now. And so I would say it's, it's, it's you don't focus on the threat, you focus on the Savior. 
and you start sh- sharing with people the design laws of God and the truths of God's word and, and bring them to a real knowledge. And then you can also enlighten them on the events that are unfolding. But if you focus only on the threats, then you only incite fear. The yes. temptation is to use the methods of the devil. That's right, and that's coming. The temptation is to respond, and, and you're going you're to find it coming. The, the king of the south is still pushing right now. Uh, which is liberalism, godlessness, evolutionism, communism. The king of the south is pushing. All this stuff you're seeing in the world is leftist. Okay? Um, the Bible says the king of the north is going to storm out and destroy him. And then Michael stands up. So there's going to be a conservative backlash that's going to come out. It's going to be quite ugly. And it's going to be the, the silent majority of people that can't take it anymore. And this is Satan's bait to get us to be so outraged and so angry. Look at how he tempted Christ. He tempted Christ with the same dynamic. He did outrageous things to Christ, outrageous, unjust, horrible things to, to, to inflame a sense of outrage. This is wrong to get him to act out and use his power to stop it. Okay? And that is the temptation. It's going to come. And it's going to be so subtle, and it's going to seem so right, because the people who are going to lead this are, are going to lead with things that you agree with. But the methods will be the methods of this world, more coercive and more control. It won't just be resetting back to constitutional liberties, which would be okay to do. It would be absolutely righteous to simply restrain abuse. The, the Supreme Court ruling that said you can't mandate vaccines on companies, that was a righteous ruling. It restrained abuse. That is not the same thing as passing a law that says nobody is allowed to get a vaccine if they want one. Those are not the same rulings. Okay, Those are different. Okay, So... Anyway, that's what I would have to suggest. I'm hearing a lot uh, recently about this thing called superimmunity. Uh, it seems like an effort to convince people who have caught the virus and recovered to get the jab. A formerly trusted health professional cited an article in Nature magazine as evidence of superimmunity. Is there validity to superimmunity idea? So when it comes to human species... It is almost virtually impossible to give an absolute ruling that covers every person. Only, like, only with extreme things like every person you tie a plastic bag over their head will suffocate. Okay? Uh, that would be true. Okay? But, but things like this, um, I would tell you as a population, I would not believe this. Are there individuals that this could be true for? I would think it's true. There will be individuals it's true for. And, and that's what you'll discover um, in, in most things in medicine. Um, there are generalities that, that affect most, but then there's also outliers and, and people on the, on the both arms of the bell curve on those extreme outliers, okay, on both sides of it. And so I, I would not buy into this. Um, that there's interesting data. There was a, uh, before our Supreme Court ruling yesterday, um, a, a healthcare company in Puerto Rico who was mandating vaccines uh, lost their um, uh, in court and, and, and they could not mandate it on their health workers in Puerto Rico. And so the health agency um, required separate housing for the people they had working at this particular facility where they housed their employees, um, the vaccinated in one uh, uh, housing building and the unvaccinated in another. And there was a, a COVID outbreak in the vaccinated, uh, but not the unvaccinated. Okay, uh, and, 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 and things like this uh, are, are quite profound in revealing the fallacy of this idea that these injections actually confer immunity. Understand the truth. They were never designed to confer immunity. They were designed to reduce severity of illness, which makes them a therapeutic, not a vaccine. 
And so if you're going to be honest and truthful, you call it an injectable genetic therapeutic designed to reduce hospitalization and death. You don't call it a vaccine. By any historic understanding of the average person, vaccines give you immunity. That's, we, that's the, word, the word that we all understand, and that's what it means. It was purposely called a vaccine to deceive people. They purposely, they knew it from the very beginning. From the very beginning, it was designed and understood to not prevent infection, but to reduce severity of illness. They purposely misled the people, and they still do. Do some people benefit from that? I think some have. Have some people been harmed? Way, way more than what you've been told. New, new articles coming out all the time, all the time, documenting that more people have been harmed by the injections than have been helped. But the absolute risk reduction of getting the Pfizer vaccine, the absolute risk reduction of the Pfizer vaccine is 0.84%. 0.84% risk reduction if you get the Pfizer vaccine. The, the, the risk of harm from getting it is 300%. 300% increase in harm if you get it. Risk reduction, 0.84%. So there's a risk reduction for some. But the actual harm is more than if you actually don't take it. Do you want to say something, Wendell? Well, I have to say that since I have access to the earlier data, currently 10% of the people who are in the ICU from, that have some viral illness of some kind are vaccinated, whereas 90% are unvaccinated. And hospitalizations are the same way. So it does help prevent some issues with hospitalizations. So since it's a therapeutic, in order to do an honest evaluation of what Wendell's suggesting, you would then need to have two groups, one who got the injections, and then one who got other forms of early treatment therapeutics, and then compare hospitalization rates and outcomes. And if you do that, you will discover that the other therapeutics have significantly more risk reduction than these injections do. The reason you see what, what Wendell's describing is because the CDC protocols uh, still, even as of I looked at them that were released uh, January 12, 2022, the CDC protocols kill people. I will say it, and I will defend it. The CDC protocols tell people to go home, don't take any treatment until you get sick. And then when you have breathing problems, then present to the ER, and the CDC protocols recommend remdesivir. Remdesivir failed in their previous uh, viral trials because five times more people died on remdesivir than the other three arms of the study, and remdesivir causes renal failure and other organ failure. Okay, So um, I don't dispute the observation of Wendell at all. I think it's true. But it's true because in our country, the recommendations coming out of the CDC are fraudulent. They're not actually based on what works and what's been proven in now, hundreds of studies on other therapeutics around the world, and there are multiple therapeutics that actually significantly reduce death and hospitalization uh, around the world, and we still recommend against them in this country. If you look at the CDC rec uh, protocols, and I, and I read them, I, I downloaded them to my computer, uh, they recommend against hydroxychloroquine, even though multiple studies have shown that uh, hydroxychloroquine treatment reduces uh, death and hospitalization. Uh, they, recommend, they recommend neither for nor against ivermectin, even though multiple studies have shown ivermectin. Uh, and, in, and in certain population studies, like um, uh, one uh, state in India with 230 million people, they eliminated uh, this. Uh, you, you will also, I, I'm, I'll just tell you a book. This comes from a Democrat. Some of you think I'm a Republican. I'm actually an, 
an independent. I've never registered with one party. Never felt I could support one party because I see problems in both parties. But this book was written by a lifelong Democrat, 40 years activist in the Democrat Party. Uh, you may have heard of it. It's The Real Anthony Fauci by Robert F. Kennedy Jr., son of Robert F. Kennedy, senator, nephew of uh, John F. Kennedy. Uh, he has inside connections inside the government. Huge document, 4,000 references here you will discover that we have been scammed and frauded in this country. Everything we've been saying in this class for the entire time is true, and it's documented and referenced there. It goes much deeper than, than we thought. Why are we getting censored? Do you know why we're getting censored? Guess who has uh, investment and control over some of the vaccines that are being used? Google. Okay, Google's an investor, and they control YouTube. Okay, I didn't know that. Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. That, that too. But, but at the end of the day, um, I, I would not believe this at all. And, and uh, I would say about, about medicine in America, re go, read my blog on the mass delusion. Uh, the higher educated a person, the more vulnerable they are to a mass delusion. And doctors, medical doctors, are extremely vulnerable to mass delusion because they've been conditioned by their education and their system to think in conformity with medical authority. In order to not be sued, a doctor has to abide by the standard of care. Standard of care is actually defined by the consensus of practice in your community. And so doctors are conditioned to think through the lens of what other doctors in medical authority have concluded is the standard and not think outside the box. Further, they've been conditioned through um, their uh, corporation. When I graduated medical school in 1990, three out of four doctors in America had independent practice. They, were, they, they had their own solo practice independent of a corporation. Uh, today, more doctors are employed by corporations than have independent practice. The corporate practice of medicine has also conditioned doctors to think through the corporate protocols and the corporate expectations, the one who pay your check, as well as the, um, uh, the treatment guidelines uh, from specialty societies and the recertification uh, requirements. All of these things pressure doctors that when the CDC and the FDA come out with recommendation guidelines, uh, you, 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 stand, you don't think outside the box. To go against that is, is, is um, resisted by doctors, and they accept that as, as um, um, it, it's very much like the Dark Ages and the Pope comes out with a ruling. The Orthodox people don't question it. The Pope said it. You see it in the, uh, the, the, the parents that, uh, in, in the Bible whose son was healed of blindness when the, when the, uh, the Sanhedrin leaders asked them. Uh, the Bible explicitly says they were afraid of being thrown out of the of the of the of the um, temple and the system, so they they wouldn't answer. Uh, they conditioned to accept hi hierarchy. This book des describes the complete corruption of our system. Uh, if I told you, and I said this before class for some of you, if the Environmental Protection Agency got fifty percent of its budget from gas, from oil, and coal, if it got fifty percent of it. Would you trust their rulings? Well, more than fifty percent of the FDA's budget comes from Big Pharma. Okay. Big Pharma controls these organizations. So uh, it's quite corrupt what's happening uh, in America, and, uh, and I don't think it's going to get fixed. Um, a medicine in America is corporate medicine now. 
And, and, and I will tell you, if you're listening online and you have influenced the Adventist church, now is a time where the Adventist church can, can bring its health message forward with a new setting and a new light. And the health message is now, don't trust corporate medicine. Learn how to live a healthy lifestyle because corporate medicine and big pharma, what they really want is they want you chronically sick where you buy a medicine from them every month to treat your symptoms. They actually don't want you well. That's why they don't. They don't. I'll just tell you they don't. Their goal is to treat chronic illness so they can, they can have a, a constant influx of money buying their products. That's the goal. An Adventist health message can really free people from so many of these chronic health conditions that are lifestyle related. And so there's a new setting to go out there and do this. But the problem is, um, much of our own health organization is incorporated and embedded deeply with the government. And why is it these corporations like Erlanger, like Memorial, like Adventist Health, why are they going along with the injectable mandates when they know, or mask wearing, when mask wearing has no effect on the spread of this at all, why are they going along with it? Because they'll lose their funding if they don't. Uh, CMS said we won't, we won't pay your Medicare bills and so forth. And so they're more interested in their corporate health than the health of their patients or the health of their employees. That's the reality of what we're living in today. They won't risk it. They will not risk their corporate health to stand up and fight against these things. And they could have. The Adventist organization could have easily filed a lawsuit against the Biden administration and fought for the civil rights of their employees, but they didn't. And, they, and, that, and that lawsuit would have prevented any loss of monies, at least until the ruling came. And, and what would have happened at the Supreme Court? They just ruled that hospitals can still do it. Had there been multiple hospital organizations as, as um, litigants fighting against it and presenting the science that, in fact, this is not only a violation of civil rights, this doesn't make any medical sense. You understand the safest people in society are the unvaccinated recovered. It's true. If you're unvaccinated and recovered, you have not only IgG and IgM antibodies in your body, you have IgA in your mucous membranes. If you're vaccinated but, but uh, not had it yet, uh, you have IgG and IgM to the spike protein inside your body, but you have no IgA. When you get infected, the, the virus begins to reproduce in your mucous membranes, oral pharynx, throat, and so forth. Only when it begins passing into your body does your IgG and IgM attack it. But until then, the, you then are spreader. Not only that, as was said earlier, these are designed to reduce symptoms. Since you have IgG and IgM, you don't get as sick. And so you may not have symptoms severe enough to actually take you out of circulation. So you go in and you spread it. Whereas people who are unvaccinated and also haven't had it yet, when they get it, they actually get sick. And they do like they've always done prior to this. And they go, hey, mom, dad, grandpa, I'm sick. I'm staying home until I'm better. So understand, we live in a culture where we have a pandemic of the vaccinated. It's true. But they don't want you to know that. This, go back and read my blog this week on the mass delusion. The, the things that we do are delusional. 99 point, for 99.5% of the world's population, COVID is not a life-threatening illness. That's science. It's no more serious than any of the moderate flu strains that we've had over the last 100 years and way less serious than the, than the Spanish flu. Morbidity-wise, is not correct. Well, but, but see, he's saying morbidity, the symptoms and the things that you can have come along. Uh, and, and you'd have to compare that with the morbidity that we're going to get from the injections, which is being denied and suppressed. So the, the idea being in medicine has always been that the treatment should not be worse than the condition. 
And the treatment is not just the injections. The treatment is the closing of the businesses, the closing of the churches, the closing of the schools, the forced mask wearing of children whose psychological development is damaged and harmed because they can't see the facial expression. The treatment is causing way more harm in society and to people and increasing much more morbidity than the illness ever could. And, and, but people are delusional. They believe this because of the factors that I described in my blog this week. They actually believe that doing these things actually help. It doesn't. So I'm sorry for, for this person in Australia. I, I hear you. It's the same thing here in America. We have a little bit. We're fortunate enough to live in a, in a red state, and we've had a lot more liberties here. I know people who live in some of the blue states. I had a patient who just recently traveled to, to New York. She, she, she's been vaccinated, but she didn't take her vaccine documents with her. She couldn't do anything. She couldn't go to a store. She couldn't go to a restaurant. She couldn't do anything. And understand, understand. Get your, if you think that that's reasonable to require vac- it's nothing that's ever happened in society before. Here's what's medically reasonable. And I would not actually have been protesting had they done this. Medical reasonableness is to quarantine sick people, not healthy people. So, so if they wanted to have somebody at the door of every, every business with one of those little electric things, little laser things that they pop your forehead or your cheek or whatever and get your temperature, and if you have a temperature over such and such, you can't come in, I'm good with that. That's okay with me. You're identifying people that are symptomatic. That's not what they're doing. It doesn't matter if you're COVID recovered and you actually can bring a lab that shows you've got antibodies and you are immune to this thing. You still can't go in unless you get this injection. This has nothing to do with health status. This has to do with government control and damaging people's minds, conditioning them to give in to authority. It's authoritarianism. It's fear-driven. That's exactly right. It's delusional. Christ came to earth to overcome sin and heal humanity. Why do we still have sinful humanity? Um, it says, when, when you talk about healing uh, by the remedy, uh, is that what you consider character development? So, uh, and when does full healing take place? So Christ overcame as our substitute and developed a perfect sinless humanity on all levels. And when he went to heaven, he went to heaven with a glorified body. Uh, and we get a glorified body at the second coming. What we're promised here now is a new heart and right spirit or character development, what we're, uh, but we don't get new physiology until the second coming when this mortal puts on immortality and this corruption puts on incorruption. So we don't get the full victory over all of the consequences and damage of sin, even, if, even though our hearts can be perfected now, perfected meaning so settled into the truth, both intellectually and spiritually, you can't be moved from it like Job um, you can have that heart settling in perfection, even though we live in a body that's still decaying. Uh, ask for, again for the, the same person asked for the uh, four judgments on camera. Please, again, go over to our um, resource section and go to the um, Power of Love training equipment course and go down to the judgment. There's a short lecture. All four of them are there. You also can download the PowerPoint slides and use those if you'd like. Uh, can, can you uh, forgive someone but still choose to not have them in your life because they are very difficult and you do not enjoy their... Absolutely. Uh, forgiveness does not equal trust. You forgive in order to free yourself of, of resentment, anger, hostility, bitterness. Um, you do that and it heals you that they've been wrong. But forgiving someone does not mean they're trustworthy. And so even though you forgive somebody, you assess their trustworthiness. And if they're not a trustworthy person, then you, you limit, you, you put a boundary up, a healthy boundary that limits 
uh, how close you let them get into your life. And we are, at, we are way over time, so I'm going to not be able to finish these questions today. Gracious Father in heaven, thank you for your love. Thank you for all that you've done for us. Give us wisdom and discernment in our decision-making. And may we represent you faithfully in your holy name. Amen.